You filled your belly. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play. Good afternoon. Welcome to this Friday, February the 7th edition of Lightning Lunch. We're we're calling this around here today the Billy Joel edition of the show as Billy Joel is in the building tonight along with lots and lots of people I know, including myself, who will be inside Amelie Arena. Yes, even on an off night, I'll be inside Amelie Arena tonight for the concert. But uh, before we get to that... We do have a lightning lunch for you today as we look back and recap last night's game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The lightning just continue to find ways to win games. I thought it was a very impressive performance in so many areas coming out of last night's game. Uh, we are going to wax poetic about Anthony Sorelli and the job that he did last night. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky. 17 consecutive games now, in which he's earned a point. It's the eighth, eighth um, goaltender in NHL history to have such a streak uh, in the season. Uh, so it, it, it sets franchise record, uh, of course, beating Nikolai Habi Bulin's um, streak. It's also the longest point streak in NHL history by a Russian goaltender. Uh, that was Sergei Bobrovsky, who did it with the Columbus Blue Jackets during their 16-game winning streak back in the 2016-2017 season. Uh, he had ninth different goaltender. He is the ninth different goaltender on any team over the last 40 years. This goes back to the 79-80 season to record at least one point in 17 or more consecutive appearances in one season. So a uh, very impressive streak for Andre Vasilevsky, uh, who, again, doesn't have to be spectacular. He he is capable of it, no doubt about it. Uh, we saw one moment from the, from him last night <clears throat> during a very impressive five-on-three penalty kill against uh, for Tampa Bay. Um, and just looking here as I just look it up before we get uh, too deep into this, Want to mention where did it go? This, these pictures load in this email and it changes my place where I'm at. How silly is that? <clears throat> All right, so the 17 consecutive games in which Vasilevsky has recorded a point. Uh, the others ahead of him, uh, Billy Smith, Jose Theodore, and Tuka Rask have 19 game such streaks. Billy Smith with the Islanders in '82, Jose Theodore with Washington in 2010 and Tuka Rask with the Bruins in 2017-18. Pete Peters, Chris Osgood, and Roberto Luongo recorded 21 consecutive games with at least a point. Again, this dates back to the 79-80 season. Um, Pete Peters did it with Boston in 82-83. Chris Osgood did it with the Detroit Red Wings in 95-96. And Luongo did it with Vancouver in 2010-2011. And, of course, the NHL record is owned by Pete Peters, who did it with the Philadelphia Flyers in the 79-80 season. That was a year where they have, Connor, 35 consecutive games without a loss uh, that season. I think that's the NHL record for most consecutive points 
games with a point in a season. You're a Flyers fan. You're supposed to know that. That's Flyers history, man. You're supposed to know that off the top of your head. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, Pete Peters did it with the Flyers. Again, 27 consecutive games uh, during that year with the Flyers. I'm pretty sure the record's 35 consecutive games with at least a point. That was in the day of ties. See, you don't even, you don't even know what ties are, do you? <laughs> I know you know what they are, but have you experienced a tie? When? <laughs> uh, so that is a record. There are two other goalies who also had 17-game uh, uh, streaks. Patrick Waugh did it with Montreal uh, January to April of 1989. And Phil Meyer, also with the Flyers, uh, that same year, 79-80, 17 consecutive games, uh, starts with a point. So very impressive streak for... Andre Vasilevsky, his last regulation loss came on December the 14th. So we're closing in here on two months since Andre Vasilevsky suffered a loss, uh, continues to lead the league in victories. Uh, and I think you're going to hear his name start to pop up in Vezina conversation once again uh, because his numbers continue to be impressive and they continue to uh, drop on a regular basis as – you know, like we, we documented the struggles that he had during the regular season, uh, early in the regular season. There was a time his save percentage was around 905, 904. His goals against was in the 2.8 area. Well, he's brought it down to the goals against has been brought down to 2.52, the save percentage up to 918. And uh, the track that he's on, the trend that he's on, uh, that is certainly going to continue to improve as we go on through the season, uh, that 2.52 goals against. Uh, Tuka Rass leads the league at 2.15. Darcy Kemper's been injured. Tristan Jari's at 2.19. So he's not quite into that category uh, yet in terms of goals against, but he's climbing up that, uh, that group of goaltenders. And then the save percentage, and this is always a, a tough one to track because of um, – I don't have a filter on the site that I'm currently using to filter out guys like Chris Drieger, who's only played in nine games, uh, comes up with a high save percentage. But Elvis Merzlikens Merlik uh, has a 9.29 save percentage. Uh, Tampa Bay will face him most likely on Monday in Columbus. Uh, Darcy Kemper, again, he's missed a significant amount of time, but when he was in there, he had a 929 save percentage. Tuka Rask has a 929 save percentage. So, again, not necessarily in those areas of uh, what we kind of view goaltenders for a lot of times, but when you stack it up to what he's done lately, and he's got a 28-9-3 record. 28-9-3, uh, pardon me. He's got four more wins than any other goaltender in the league. It's Frederick Anderson, Jordan Bennington, both have 24. And, you know, when you consider that the Lightning are not one, two, or three in the league standings, uh, it's a pretty impressive feat for him to pull himself up into this conversation. He's only st he started 40 games as opposed to Anderson, who started 42. Bennington started 39, but Carey Price has started 45, Connor Hellebuck 43. So a lot of these other goalies have started more games than he has as well. So, um, yeah, and look, it, I mean, Stephanie just chimed in with exactly that as we were um, uh, talking about it. She says, I know Vasilevsky's goals against the save percentage are not in the top 10, but I feel like since Christmas he is playing better than he did last year. 
he is he is in a lot of ways um because he's he doesn't have to make some he's not forcing himself sometimes to make the spectacular save you know the behind the back robbing Anze Kopitar type of saves now he had one last night and and it wasn't even it doesn't even count as a save it doesn't go down as a save for him but it's <laughs> like I don't I don't necessarily know how to describe it you know we've talked about scorpion type saves right they kind of flash the back leg as the the skate goes up and maybe robs a player's scorpion time. I don't know what – Gumby save? You know, they used to call Dominic Hoshik Gumby. You know, I think Chief has used the term – Dominic Hoshik used to play like a pretzel. He was all twisted around everywhere. The play that Andre Vasilevsky made last night during the five-on-three penalty kill, you know, Rust puts a, a shot off the post and it comes back out the other side – and the awareness level, the understanding, just this innate ability he seems to have to know where pucks are and how to, I mean, to watch him first off sort of switch switch legs in midstream, kind of knowing where the puck was and how to get his body in the best position to keep it out. So he flashes that other leg, and if you saw a overhead picture or you know one of the pictures of him during that save it just does not look like a normal human being <laughs> to see the way his body was contorted around it just doesn't look natural but for him it is so to sort of switch his weight around quickly and get the the back leg um, in the right spot and kind of twist his head around and then to have the sense and awareness to have the puck on his pad and then just kind of flick it out. It just kind of flicked it out with his leg. It it really, really is impressive and sometimes indescribable on how he can make those saves. But so those are the those are those moments where you're like, wow. Those are the Andre Vasilevsky wow type moments. He hasn't had to make a ton of those type of saves this year because he just looks much more cool, calm, and just collected in his net. You know, if you watch him now, he understands better. And, like, we get spoiled. This is just his third year as a number one in the league. And to watch him swallow up pucks and to just bring them in and not give up rebounds and kill the play and, you know, doesn't put himself or the defense in front of him under unnecessary duress, that's where he, that's in where in my mind he's playing better than he was last year. Right? A lot of times, this is where Carey Price is so good. Because Carey Price kind of plays this type of game. He's calm and cool and collected. And yes... Yes, Carey Price will come up with a spectacular save from time to time. But his there's no wasted body motion. Right? There's no wasted movement in Carey Price's game. And you just get the feel that he he's starting to understand that in his game. Because you watch last night against Pittsburgh. 
So many good hard shots. He's in the perfect position for, and he just absorbs the puck. To me, that's a sign uh, of a maturing goaltender who understands how the better way to play is, and you become better for it. And hopefully that you know means you've got more reserve in the tank looking forward. So um, just very, very, very impressive. Uh, Bob has a question in. Uh, Lightning Man, who's back. It's good to hear him back uh, with us. I'm kind of missing him there for a little bit. Uh, so he, he piped in during last night's game. So he's, he's back on and uh, has a question in here. Uh, as well uh, that we'll get to uh, later on in the show. So if you have comments, you have a question, send them in. Use the hashtag AskEE or email me, Eric, at lightninginsider.com. Uh, before we get to Andrew Gross, who's going to join us in about uh, seven to ten minutes, give or take, he's with New York Newsday. We always check in with him when the Islanders are in town. And, of course, tomorrow night is a game against the Islanders at 7 o'clock here on Lightning Power Play. I, I would be remiss if we don't talk about the job Anthony Sorelli did head-to-head -head last night against Sidney Crosby. And this is one of the things that I think you have to admire in some ways about head coach John Cooper when it comes to, like, I don't know where along the line John Cooper got this reputation that he doesn't trust young players. I, I don't know where it came from, and, and maybe some will point to Slater Cuckoo you know, but the the times that in my in watching Slater when he was given opportunities, he didn't handle it right. So you test young players how do they handle it, and in this case, and and you know he, because uh, I'm gonna bring up Tyler Johnson's name, and people are gonna tell me that well, of course, because he coached him in Norfolk and he coached him in Syracuse, and you know, uh, but. If you look at the history of John Cooper when he's been head coach here, dating back specifically to the 13-14 season when it was his first full year behind the bench. Remember, he came in late in the 12-13 season, the lockout year. He has shown a willingness and an understanding of putting young centers particularly. We know that the defensive center matchup is the biggest matchup. It's line matching, but you are looking – certainly straight ahead to um, the the center matchups. So go back to that 13-14 season when uh, the line he did have that helped lead them to a Calder Cup championship in Norfolk with Tyler Johnson, Andre Pilat, and Richard Ponick. Those three he would put head-to-head -head out against Sidney Crosby. Okay, let's see how good you are defensively. Prove it to me. And Tyler Johnson would do an admirable job, and that line would do an admirable job against Sidney Crosby. A couple of years ago, he did it with Braden Point. Braden Point had, uh, you know, kind of came up and had this defensive awareness about him and the trust factor that he'd started to build. Okay, let's see how you do against Sidney Crosby. Well, now you have last night, and it was earlier in the year too, but last night in particular – putting Anthony Sorelli out there against the Crosby line. And in the second half of the game, you had Crosby and Malkin, Evgeny Malkin, on the same line as Mike Sullivan was looking to find um, some consistent spark from his offense. And they're banked up, there's no doubt. Jake Gensel's a big loss for them uh, as a scoring winger. But 
Sorelli was given that task, and it's not the first time he's been given that task, but just as you as you delve into the numbers, and, and you know, you know I like to look at some of these numbers from time to time to kind of get a better feel for what we think we see. You take the eye test, you match it against the number test, and, and you see where the two merge. Head-to-head, -head, Crosby and Sorelli were on the ice for 7 minutes and 10 seconds of even strength time. This is just even strength time, mind you, because the, the Penguins did have a number of power plays, and Sorelli was out there, including that 5-on-3 that I referenced. He started that 5-on-3 and finished the 5-on-3 uh, for 94 seconds. But at even strength, 5-on-5 play, the shot attempt advantage for Anthony Sorelli, head-to-head -head against Sidney Crosby, he had 71% of the shot attempts, 10 to 4. 10 to 4 in shot attempts advantage for Sorelli. And, of course, Sorelli scored a goal. So he also outscored Crosby. Crosby was held without a point. And then to take it even more impressively down, the scoring chances. The scoring chances created with Sorelli on the ice head-to-head -head against Sidney Crosby were 89% in favor of Sorelli, whose line created eight scoring chances compared to one. One scoring chance against for Sidney Crosby, head-to-head -head against Anthony Sorelli. So this is where we start to talk about and maybe start to understand. We see it here on a nightly basis, there's no doubt. But if you listen to last Friday's show when I had Ken Campbell on from the Hockey News, he had talked about the Hockey Writers Association and, and the PHWA, which I was a member of for 18 years. They vote on a majority of the league's awards. The Hart Trophy, the Norris Trophy, the Selkie, the Lady Bing, the Calder. All that is voted on by the PHWA. Well, they also have started now doing this mid-season voting. And Ken Campbell had Anthony Sorelli as his number one for the Selkie. So the recognition is starting to come. And when you see performances like that last night in a key game, it was a, it was a test for both teams to see where they were. Pittsburgh had just come off that win against the Washington Capitals in Washington on Sunday. They'd been here for a few days for sure. But... The Penguins have just been rolling along. Despite all the injuries they've had, they just continue to find ways to win games. So it was a big test for both teams. I thought, I thought Victor Hedman summed it up pretty succinctly last night. They're a good team. We're a good team. It was a good game. But it was a test for both teams and for Sorelli to come out in that circumstance and have that sort of an advantage. The only advantage that Crosby had came in the face-off circle, which is not surprising. Uh, he continues to be one of the better face-off guys in the league. So Sorelli won only 6 of 15 face-offs. Of course, Crosby took 33 face-offs, 33 of the 74 face-offs last night. Crosby took for the Penguins, and uh, he ended up winning 20 of those. Uh, but you look at the end of the night, too. Sidney Crosby, a minus 3 in 23 minutes of ice time. Sorelli, a goal, a plus two in 18 and a half minutes of ice time. So just very, very impressive on what Anthony Sorelli has done. And you continue to see the growth 
the understanding, the importance of what Anthony Sorelli has brought to this roster, to this lineup on a nightly basis, and he's only going to get better. He's only going to get better. You should. We'll have Bobby the Chief uh, Taylor on tomorrow on the opening face-off show. No lightning lunch tomorrow because it's Saturday. Lightning uh, opening face-off at 4:30 tomorrow. Chief loves Anthony Sorelli for good reason, as we all do, and he's the one who first brought this comparison to me. I know he's done it on the post-game show for Fox Sports Sun about the comparisons to Patrice Bergeron. That's how good Anthony Sorelli is becoming as a two-way center. And it's just, it's a joy, it's a treat to watch on a nightly basis to watch this player grow from where he was two years ago. We're coming up on almost two years since he was called up for the first time from Syracuse and made his NHL debut in Dallas. The two-year growth of Anthony Sorelli I've mentioned it before. His emergence has forced, just as John Cooper likes to say, Anthony Sorelli will drag you into the fight. He has forced the coaching staff to give him more ice time on a consistent basis. So this is a player who is essentially a third-line center for most of last year. He's now been bumped up to second-line center, and he's pushed Steven Stamkos out to the wing. And this is something that maybe a couple of years ago, Maybe Steven Stamkos would have been a little bit more resistant to be pushed out to the wing. He's embraced it wholeheartedly. He understands it. He knew at some point he was probably going to move to the wing anyway, depending on how things sort of grew with the team. And Sorelli's emergence has made that happen because he's forced it to happen. He's forced it to happen. And, again, it's just a complete treat to watch all right if you have questions you have have comments on anything that we've talked about so far if you have a, a subject that you want to bring up find me on twitter use the hashtag ask ee email me eric lightninginsider.com that's e-r-i-k uh, stephanie's got another question and we got the other ones that we'll get to uh, in our third segment we're going to take a break right now when we come back we're going to talk to Andrew Gross from New York Newsday, who's going to give us some insight into the New York Islanders, who were one of the hottest teams earlier in the league and have been roughly 500 since then as they are now in a battle to stay in the playoff spot. So we'll talk to Andrew Gross from New York Newsday when we come back right after this. Belly up to the bar and order some more lightning talk. Lisa. I want some more. More! This is Lightning Lunch with Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson, your host from lightninginsider.com. As we look ahead to tomorrow night's game against the New York Islanders, that's a 7 p.m. puck drop right here on Lightning Power Play. And that means it's also time, as we always do, when these two teams face off against each other. It's time to talk to our good friend from New York Newsday, Andrew Gross. Andrew, we appreciate your time. How are things with you? Uh, great, Eric. It's great to speak to you, too. Thanks for having me on. Always looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. No, we have we have some good talks, It's uh, so it, it's good stuff. Um, so the Islanders uh, find themselves after that uh, incredible start they had, that, uh, what, 15-game unbeaten streak, 
Uh, I know since the middle of December they've been kind of up and down a little bit, haven't won more than two consecutive games at uh, any point uh, s since then. Are, are they just kind of in that midseason rut, or is there something more going on with them? Well, I, I think, you know, if you want something concrete, uh, you know, certainly they've they've been more of a 500 team since, uh, you know, probably after they ended that 15-0-2 streak uh, coming back from California uh, right around Thanksgiving. You know, they, they're right around 500 since then, but I think if you want to look to a reason as to why they haven't been able to kind of regain that consistency, and I know injuries are a part of this. Every team goes through it. But losing, a, you know, really a top-pair defenseman in Adam Pellick uh, to a regular season-ending uh, Achilles tendon injury on January 2nd, it's been a struggle for them to, you know, kind of gain some consistency defensively. They just, you know, they they rely so much on that umbrella structure and, uh, you know, being tight around their, their, their crease and not giving up too many rebounds. And uh, it, it just hasn't looked 100% the same without Pelic in there. And also they've been without Kel Clutterbuck mm -hmm. uh, since December 19th when he took Patrice Bergeron's skate blade kind of right through his left wrist, really, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of a scary, ugly situation. Um He's out indefinitely. You know, he started skating on his own. He's doing some light stick work. But, you know, without clutter, that, that, that fourth line that Barry Trotz relies upon with Casey Sezikis and Matt Martin hasn't been exactly the same either. You know, Leo Komarov is filled in there, and, you know, Leo can agitate and everything. But, you know, when, when Casey, Cal, and, and Maddie play together, it's so much greater than the sum of the, you know, the individuals uh, that that line really does have that intangible. And it, it just isn't the same with clutter. So I think you look at those two injuries as a, a real reason why they haven't been able to regain that consistency that they had earlier on. And the one thing that was consistent as well in the early going in the season was the goalie rotation. It literally was every other game, whether it was Varlamov or Thomas Grice, uh, they kind of went away from that a little bit, um, you know, starting around the middle of December. Uh, where, where does this stand with a goaltending? Do they need – they didn't need it last year between Leonard and Grice, but at, at some point do they need one of these guys to step forward, or does that really factor into their decision-making at all? You know, uh, at one point uh, going into this all-star break, bye week uh, vacation they had, 10 days off, um, you know, Varlamov had started, I think, seven of eight games. Um, and it had really become that model of, you know, Varley was the starter and Greiser was the, uh, Thomas Grice was the, was the backup through that stretch. But now coming back out of that break, uh, it, it seems like Barry Trotz is kind of going back to that rotation. The, uh, the schedule is really unforgiving for the Islanders. And, you know, uh, I, obviously I discover this team, but, you know, many NHL teams after they come out of that bye week, you know, it's just a condensed schedule, uh, you know, another topic, but I, I think the NHL uh, in its schedule making has to do a better job of, you know, just because the players get this time off doesn't mean they should be worn down so much coming out the back end there. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. You know, they come out of the break with 33 games in 64 days and, uh, 
I think it's, uh, you know, they're, they're playing 15 games in a 29-day month in February. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, it's relentless. It's, you know, game, day off, game, day off, game, day off, back-to-back. Uh, they got a back-to-back next week. You know, they, they, they go to Tampa and Washington, which is, you know, that that's certainly not an easy trip the way those two teams are playing. And then you come back uh, off a Monday game in Washington and you play the Flyers, you know, back in Brooklyn on a back-to-back, and that's one of the teams you're battling with for one of those final wild-card spots at this point. Um, So my my point is, with the goalies, he's going to have to rotate them. You know, it's just too grueling, really. You know, he's not going to give one guy 20 or 22 games out of the last 33. You know, it really is going to be like, you know, maybe a 17, 15. Uh, my math is awful. That's not 33. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, uh, 18, 15, 17, 16, somewhere around there, you know, split by when, when all is said and done, barring an injury. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the lighting went through it, right? They, they came out of their Christmas break. They had 13 games in 21 days. They had four consecutive yeah. weekends of back-to-backs. And, and, and you dilute the product that way, too. Yeah. You know, at a time of the season when you want to, you know, the league should be showcasing, you know, its very best through this playoff push, February into March. And, you know, certainly the games are exciting and everything, but there are just some nights when the legs aren't there, you know, through the travel and the back-to-backs and everything. And I just find that a little bit of a shame. Well, can we play conspiracy theorists for a minute on that? Well, we we know how yeah, much sure, the we know how much the players want to go to the Olympics, but that also means shutting yeah. down the league for three weeks, which also means condensing yeah. the schedule. So, you know, is this a is this a conspiracy theorist message from the league to the players? Okay, you want to go to the Olympics? This is what the regular season schedule is going to look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a- there's a lot of CBA, you know, back and forth. And obviously, you know, players earn this, you know, the bye week, which, I mean, you know, taking nothing away from the bye week, I could just tell, you know, the, the Islanders before their bye week and after the bye week, uh, you can visibly see how good that was for the Islanders. I mean, uh, the, the, the last game uh, before the All-Star game uh, uh, bye week break for the Islanders, was a 4-2 win at Madison Square Garden over the Rangers on a, on a Tuesday night, and the All-Star game is that Saturday. So they, they have the game Tuesday, you know, off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, over the weekend. They're not back for team practices until Thursday of the following week. And I, I'm telling you, like, no one liked anyone by that Tuesday night. They were just all so worn down. I, I've never seen Barry Trotz so frustrated and i usually one of the great things about carrying uh, you know covering barry trotz as compared to our, our old friend john tortorella um not to you know not to slam on torts here but you know coaches get angry they get frustrated with their team's performance and mm-hmm. you know they are emotional after games and i get that you know they're competitors that's why they've gotten to where they are barry trotz is very good at recognizing the, the separation. He's not mad at the media. You know, he's, he's frustrated with his players or the officiating, but he always, he, he never takes it out on the media. 
You, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And that, that Ranger game, uh, you know, going into the break, that was the first time I had really seen Barry really on edge and a little bit curt and tense with his answers. And again, never mad at the media, but it, it was very visible. And that was the game he benched uh, Matthew Barzell in the third period. Um, they won 4-2. He didn't like the fact that they couldn't hit an empty net at the end. Uh, he didn't like some of the late penalties that led to two power play goals. And just everyone on the team seemed to want to get away from everyone else at that point. And then they come back from this 10-day break, and that chemistry that's kind of carried them through a lot of the good times was packed. And, you know, like I said, visibly, you could just see how good that break is. So, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to eliminate the bye week. I'm just saying that there, there's got to be a better way of doing it without the players paying for it so heavily once they do come back. Yeah, well, honestly, the only way to, to really alleviate that is to shorten the schedule, you know, to go under 82 games. We both know that's not going to happen. It's been discussed. It's been there for a long time. But that's never going to happen because that would have to mean pay cut for the players, uh, and that's just not going to happen. Exactly. So. So I, I guess we have yeah. to, we just have to live with it, and uh, certainly from a mental standpoint, probably more than a physical. The mental standpoint is, you know, you talk about the frustration that the Islanders had. I think the mental break is just as important, probably more important than the physical break for these players. Oh, a hundred percent. That's what I was trying to say. I mean, they were, you know, yeah, physically they were tired, but mentally they were, yep. they were just shot. They, they didn't want to think about hockey for a few days. You know, it just was. It had gotten overwhelming at, at that point with the schedule they had gone through. And, again, I'm not trying to single out the Islanders as, you know, the only team, you know, that goes through this. In fact, if anything, I mean, the Islanders, uh, like the Rangers and the Devils, I mean, they have it easier than anyone else in the NHL because of the proximity of so many of their opponents. Yeah. It's like, you know, they have, they have a reduced road schedule you know, for all intents and purposes, because you're playing two games, you know, 15 miles away in New York's in Manhattan. And then, you know, uh, a couple more games in Jersey and yeah, they got to go to the hotel the night before and everything, but that's still, that's not getting on a plane and going anywhere. Whereas, you know, you know, I, I, I'm imagining with the lightning, even going down to uh, Fort Lauderdale or sunrise, that's probably a flight for the team. I can't imagine they yeah. get on a bus for no. Four hours for that. No, it's a flight. It's about a 50-minute 50, 50 to 60-minute flight to get down there. And then you know how yeah. even even from the airport to the to the uh, hotel, is it's a little bit of a drive in Fort Lauderdale. Well, you never that, know what probably, kind of traffic you're going to get. That might be longer than the flight. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah so, um, again, we're joined here by Andrew Gross from uh, New York Newsday. And, uh, Andrew, I want to ask you, the last time we talked, uh, Noah Dobson was a, was a topic of discussion on, on the back end, highly rated prospect, uh, was just kind of getting his feet wet the last time we talked. These team, two teams met in early December. Is he a regular part of that rotation now? I, I see he's been in the lineup pretty consistently of late. Yeah, like I said, since Adam Pellick went down on uh, January 2nd, Noah Dobson, uh, who just turned 20, uh, the 12th overall pick in 2018, a highly rated defense prospect. He's been in the lineup for every single game. Um, they, they switched the pairs around. Adam Pellick uh, was on the top pair. You know, Pellick is a, a lefty, and he's uh, with the right shooting Ryan Kulak. They switched it around to move Nick Letty, also a lefty, 
up to play with Ryan Pulak, and that left uh, righty Johnny Boychuk, the old veteran, uh, needing a uh, a partner, and that's the rookie in Dobson. Now, the, the odd thing there is, you know, Noah is also a righty, so, you, you know, he switches over to his offside on the left, and that's a little bit of an adjustment, although he did it in juniors on a, you know, semi-regular basis also. Uh, still, it's a different animal in the NHL. Um, but he, he and Johnny Boychuk have played together since January 2nd. Um, but really, it, it, when you talk to Barry Trotz about how he views it, he, he really sees it as having, uh, as he, you know, I'm quoting him here, a five-and-a-half situation because it was, and, and this wasn't the case the last couple of games against the Canucks and Stars, uh, two games that go into uh, overtime. But, you know, in really tight games, um, Noah's not taking regular shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Barry says five-and-a-half defensemen. And Noah's ice time is down around, you know, anywhere, you know, around 12 minutes. It's fluctuated. You know, he's had 20-minute games, but he's also had eight-minute games. So, uh, you know, uh, Noah is is still, you know, they're, they're, they're dipping his skate into the water or into the frozen ice, you know, uh, a little judiciously still. Um, but, you know, he's gaining confidence. He's had some issues. Uh, in his own end with just being able to uh, get the puck going up ice a little bit, which, you know, no one expects that to be a real issue in Noah's career. He's so such a good stick handler, and he sees the ice well, and he is poised, but it, it is a learning process. And, you know, when he went into the lineup, like I said, he just turned 20. So he's a 19-year-old trying to figure this out. And, uh, you know, you, you can see the growing pains at times. Uh, another player that they just brought up, uh, a highly rated prospect, uh, was a star for the USA Junior National Team a couple years ago, uh, Kiefer Bellows, son of former NHLer Brian Bellows. And little trivia for you here, Andrew, in case you didn't know that, Brian Bellows actually scored the first game-winning goal in Lightning playoff history back in 1996 against the Flyers in Game yep. 2. It was an overtime game uh, that Bellows scored. But uh, f- we know how well the Islanders are defensively. They're They're once again one of the top teams – uh, in, in terms of allowing goals. Scoring can be a struggle at times. Bellows can provide that. Are they asking him to do that in this situation? Uh, asking him to, to provide the goals? To be, or, yeah, to be a, an offensive threat. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you know, Barry Trotz is pretty clear that, you know, the reason they drafted Kiefer Bellows was because of the scoring potential here. And, you know, uh, earlier in the show, in the segment, you asked me about why the Islanders have not been as good or as consistent. And, you know, beyond Adam Pellick and Cal Clutterbuck being out, I, I would say a third issue is they have not really been able to roll four lines consistency, consistently because the third line has just kind of been a little bit of a, you know, a black hole this season. They really haven't gotten much out of the third line. They've switched Josh Bailey and Derek Broussard back and forth between, you know, second-line right wing and third-line center. Right now, Derek Broussard is, uh, you know, is back-centering the third line, uh, which is what they signed him as a free agent to do. But, you know, they've gotten very low production or consistency out of that line. They've tried a bunch of wingers. Tom Kunakel, Ross Johnson has been there. Uh, Michael Dalcall has been there. And Kiefer Bellows 
is kind of the latest, you know, they're, they're trying to make him the solution to this third line. And you know what? Uh, Brass breaks an 18-game goalish drought uh, in the 4-3 overtime win uh, against the Stars on Tuesday night. And uh, both wings, Dalcal, who whose production has perked up a little bit, he got his uh, third goal of the season in the previous game. And uh, and Kiefer Bellows get the assists uh, on that goal. And uh, you know, if if Kiefer can provide that, and he's not shy about shooting, you, you can see right from the first game he gets into the slot, took a wicked shot that uh, Ben Bishop made a really nice right hand save on. Uh, otherwise, Kiefer would have had his first goal. Um, you know, the, the the ceiling is is pretty good for this guy. I mean, he had gotten uh, it was 15 goals in his last 26 AHL games, which uh, earned him the promotion. Now, you know, last season was not a great one for Kiefer in the AHL, and there were some worries that this he wasn't going to develop uh, as people had hoped or projected. You know, he. He was drafted in 2016, so, uh, you know, people were, you know, a little nervous that he wasn't developing into the score that they want. But, uh, you know, long answer, you know, uh, running around it, yeah, you know, they, they need him. They, they need the production from him. One way or another, come the February 24th trade deadline, the Islanders need to inject scoring into their lineup. And, uh, you know, Kiefer Bellows is getting kind of the first crack to be the solution there. Yeah, well, make sure you plant your bug in Lou Lamarillo's office because that's the only way you're going to get information out of him, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> well, you just don't get caught, right? That's the way it works. It's a, it's a spy game you have to play. Uh, hey, Andrew, um, as always, man, I can't thank you enough for your time for joining us here, giving us some insights into the Islanders. Uh, enjoy your trip down here to Tampa. We'll see you at the rink tomorrow night. Absolutely, Eric. Looking, uh, as always, to you. Looking forward to catching up. And uh, all the best, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks a lot. That's uh, Andrew Gross from New York Newsday. Covers the Islanders. He's covered all three teams in the New York metro area at one point, uh, the Devils and the Rangers. So, uh, all right, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back. We're going to take your questions and your comments as we look ahead to tomorrow night's game against the New York Islanders. So stick around. We'll be back right after this. Can't get enough lightning talk? Log on to lightninginsider.com for more puck pontification. Oh, if, 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 uh, if, if, uh, if, if, yeah, if we... If. Oh, if, oh, look, it's quite simple. More Lightning Lunch with Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back to this final edition, uh, final segment of Lightning Lunch. No, it's not the final edition. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to worry you there, Connor, or anybody else uh, with that little slip of the tongue. No, 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 final segment of the show. Uh, we're going to try and squeeze in as much as we can. There's about five questions I want to try and get to. Uh, as quick as I can. Also, I haven't mentioned this yet, and I need to mention it. Ryan McDonough's situation uh, left last night, left last night's game after taking a puck off of his ankle, uh, did not return. Uh, there was no clear-cut update from John Cooper after the game. Uh, the closest we got to uh, an update was he said, well, the initial thought is it doesn't look as bad as we think it is. I don't know how clouded that sounds, but that's kind of what he did indicate after the game. Uh, the fact that McDonough wasn't able to return 
Uh, you know, I even heard Dave Anderchuk on the postgame show for Fox Sports Sun last night, and this is true. Sometimes if you take off your skate in those situations, and they would have had to to get a look at it, you can't get it back on because there's there's swelling there. Because the, the skates are so tight that literally if there's any swelling, you're not going to get your foot back into it. I, I'm sure many of you have experienced that same thing, even with your shoes. But that was the case last night. I would have to think that this is going to result in a call-up. There's nothing yet on the transaction wire. The team did not practice today. Uh, they had the day off. They were scheduled to be in Brandon, uh, so they're not... Uh, they did not go on the ice today. Of course, they have that charity event uh, with McDonough and Alex Kalorn, the jam cancer in the can over at Sparkman Wharf. Uh, we'll see if McDonough is involved in that at all. He's obviously him and Kalorn, the two headliners uh, that put that uh, f fundraiser for cancer awareness and, and with Moffitt uh, together. Um, but there's been no call-up yet, at least on the AHL transaction wire. Sometimes you see these calls made up after 5 p.m. for cap purposes. And I know I've had at least one question, and I know a lot of people are thinking this. Does this mean Cal Foot comes up? Well, we'll see later on today, certainly by tomorrow morning, if McDonough is unable to play, they don't have any healthy players there's no health, there would be no healthy scratches. Uh, so for sure, they're going to have to call up a player just for that purpose. So the question has come up, what about Cal Foot? Here's my thought on that, and I had this conversation with my son when I got home last night. I don't think it's the right time to bring up Cal Foot because you have Luke Shen here, and some of you are cringing right now putting your hands up, rolling your eyes when I mention this, and you're probably not going to agree with me, and that's okay. Luke Shan hasn't played since New Year's Eve. If you have a situation to where you need a defenseman, Braden Colburn came in for Jan Ruda last night. If you sit here and tell Luke Shan right now, right now, that you have a, a position, you need a defenseman, and you tell him that he's not going to be the guy, to me it's bad. It's a bad look. It's a bag optics. And you can say all you want about Luke Shen, but you might have to rely on a Luke Shen, depending on what happens between now and the February 24 trade deadline. You might have to rely on a Luke Shen somewhere else down the road. If you tell him right now, no, 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 you're still going to sit. It's a bad look. It's a bad feel. I think at some point this year we will see Cal Foot come up and maybe get into a game or two just to get a look, to see where he's at, give him a taste of it. This organization has done that quite uh, a number of times through the years. But I don't think right now is the right time to make that call up. I know we're all excited for him. We want to see what he looks like at the NHL level, former first-round draft pick has the pedigree of being the son of a former NHL player who won a couple of Stanley Cups. We want to see where he's at. I don't think this is the right time to bring him up. Just my opinion. I think you have to play Luke Shen and give him an opportunity. I'd be surprised if McDonough is available tomorrow. This team always tends to err on the side of caution. 
when it comes to these type of injuries, you've got three games and four nights. You've got back-to-backs Monday, Tuesday at Columbus, at Pittsburgh. You've got a four-game week next week. I'd be surprised if McDonough plays tomorrow because even if tests show that there's nothing more there than just a bruise, there's still going to be some swelling and some pain. I would guess that he probably sits out tomorrow even if he was technically, technically able to play. Uh, but again, we'll keep an eye on that. All right, I'm going to try and, and get to as many of these questions and I, as I can. Um, Bob's question, the lighting appear to be playing better in the new system, but how much better do you think that the last 23 games is mainly due to Vasilevsky? I do not think this is only because of Andre Vasilevsky. I talked about it a little bit earlier, that how good they are defensively nowadays. Yes, Vasilevsky has to come up with a save, but so does every goaltender in the league. At some point, you have to ask your goalie to make a save. That's the difference between good teams and great teams, between bad teams and good teams. How good is your goaltending? Certainly, he is a big part of it, but to sit here and say he's the only reason why, no. No, you're getting production out of your top line. You're getting production out of an Anthony Sorelli. You're, you're getting production out of your back end. And more importantly, they're playing a structured defensive game. Their penalty kill, their penalty kill is probably the biggest reason. Because their power play is in a, in a slump right now, for sure. Um, it's not producing, but they're not losing the special teams battle because their penalty kill has been so, so good. So there are so many factors that have led into this 21-game stretch. It's not just Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, Bob says, I still see mental lapses and at times bad turnovers. Every team is going to turn over the puck. No team plays a mistake-free game. It's gonna throughout the course of an 82-game season, you're gonna have some mental lapses. You can't be on your game every day. It's no different than your job, than my job, than Connor's job. Some days you're gonna be better than others. It's just the way it is. Some days you're gonna feel, yeah, boy, that was a good day. I did everything I needed to do. And then there's other days, going, oh, I forgot that. Oh, I didn't do that to the best of my ability. It's no different. Those are going to happen. I haven't seen them as egregious. Right? There's not as egregious. And even the one last night against Pittsburgh, yes, he turned the puck over, but he, he hustled his way back, made up for his mistake. That's a key. That's a key for me. Um, from the Lightning Man, should we get another defenseman? Coburn looked awful. I'm going to totally disagree with you on that aspect. I do not think Braden Coburn looked awful last night. I don't know what you expected out of a Braden Coburn. He hadn't played in three and a half weeks. And I think at the end of the day, if I gave you a stat line on a defenseman that said 16 minutes of ice time, four shot attempts, three hits, and one block shot, that's a decent night at the office in my mind for what Braden Coburn was asked to do, especially since they lost McDonough in this early in the second period and they were down to 5D again for the rest of the game. So I'm not going to sit here. I, I do not agree with that, that Braden Coburn looked awful. And he says, I wouldn't want him as my only option with Shen. I think that a D's on their radar regardless. Regardless. Ideally, somebody could play with Victor Hedman. Braden Coburn got that up, or sorry, Mikhail Sergachev got that opportunity last night as Coburn played with Shattenkirk on the third pairing. But we'll have to see what that means if the Jan Ruda injury means anything going forward. Uh, Stephanie chimed in again on Vasilevsky. Notices rebound control is amazing. No second chance opportunities. I did address that a little bit earlier. Um, 
Bob, as part of that conversation, uh, talks about the slow starts. Uh, you know, it happens from time to time, uh, and, and it's happened a, a little bit here. Uh, coming out of the break, certainly the game in Dallas, the game in L.A., but I think the L.A. game was based on the emotion of the first game back at Staples Center after the death of Kobe Bryant. I think that gave the Kings a boost. What you saw is the ga ga game, game went on. The Lightning took over that game. Um, the Vegas game, we, we talked about that. Flying on Sunday, day off on Monday, two days off. They got better as that game went along. So I, I, don't, I don't think this is a disturbing trend uh, in some ways. Um, let's see. Uh, from uh, Rossi. Uh, talked about Cal Foot. I addressed that one. Um, wasn't directly in line with the question, but I hope that answers that question for you. Um, it's still in that same thread. Uh, here's another one. I, <laughs> I don't know what you expect out of players sometimes. A and this is a person who tends to be on, shall we say, the underside of how they view things. Uh, there are, to me, still too many fancy pass attempts. Sergey Sergachev's sloppy pass to Stevens cost them a goal. Hedman, same thing. It's as though they all have times the coochie virus pass to Wonderland. Dude, <laughs> mistakes happen in a game. You're not going to play a perfect game. Again, yes, yes, Sergachev turned the puck over. It happens. But he, it, it's how do you react to it? Every team makes mistakes. So are we going to sit here and say, well, Sidney Crosby made a terrible pass across the ice and Nikita Kucherov was able to pick off? Or was that a good play by Nikita Kucherov? Like, turnovers happen. It is a game of mistakes. It's a game of mistakes. I hope you understand that. Nobody plays a perfect game. Nobody plays a perfect game. I think this team is doing very fine in a lot of areas. You're never going to have... Perfection. You want perfection. You aim for per perfection. You strive for it. You're never going to attain it. So mistakes are going to happen. It's a fast-paced game. There's always, I don't care who the opponent is, even the Detroit Red Wings this year, as terrible as a season as they've had, have good players on their team. There's another team out there who wants to win the game. We only see it, or sometimes you only want to see it from one point of view, and that's from the Lightning point of view. But there's always another team you have to take into consideration. All right, let's wrap up the show uh, with this. A very happy birthday to Steven Stamkos, who says goodbye to his 20s and hello to his 30s. Steven Stamkos is 30 years old. It seems like yesterday I was at his home in Toronto before the draft when he was a fresh 18-year-old. Oh, does the time fly. All right, thanks, everybody, for your questions, Bob and Stephanie, uh, everybody else for chiming in today. Uh, good conversation. Thanks to Andrew Gross joining us a little bit earlier. Always a fun conversation with Andrew. Don't forget the Lightning hosts the New York Islanders tomorrow, the final game of a three-game homestand at 7 p.m. here on Lightning Power Play. Thanks to Connor Zielinski, as always, for making it sound great. If you're going to Billy Joel tonight, look for me. I'll be there. I'll be around. Uh, have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. So until then, bye-bye, everybody.